Do we have the power to change our emotional state? Yes. But this is the key distinction. Changing your emotional state is useful in certain moments where you need to do it, but it doesn't get rid of the emotional wound. Changing the emotional state doesn't get rid of the emotional wound. Doesn't heal it. That's Sam Karashi, and this is episode 240 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. I'm a coach, and this podcast is all about self-development and helping you to live a happier and more fulfilling life. And each week, we hear from some of the most inspirational people in the world to help inspire you to make a positive change in your life. On this week's episode, I am joined by Dr. Sam Qureshi, who is a writer, entrepreneur, Instagrammer, and YouTuber. He worked as a psychiatric resident in an addiction hospital, and throughout that time, he had the opportunity to help over 10,000 patients. But after seven years, he walked away from his medical career, believing that there must be a more effective way to help people. And he now spreads his message for his amazing work and content online. This is actually Sam's second time on the podcast, so I'll make sure that I'll link up the first episode that we recorded together in the show notes, and we will actually be recording a follow-up to this episode in the coming weeks, so be sure to listen out to the very end of this recording for how you can get involved with that one. During this conversation, we spoke about acceptance and attachments, the illusion of comfort, healing emotional wounds, the fastest way to learn anything, and much, much more. So the aim of this podcast is to inspire. So if you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Sam. So it's been a while since we did this, Sam. been a couple years, I think, uh, to the month, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. A lot has changed in the world and probably personally as well. So I'd love to start um, with... What's, what's been the biggest personal learning that you've made? Let's go with this year. I guess this year, um, I would say unconditional acceptance, the power of unconditional acceptance in allowing us to be flexible enough to move through any anything. And I think I've experienced this personally. I'm sure a lot of people experience this in, in their own way. The thing about going through limitation and restrictions is it's just a very personally uncomfortable position for anyone to be in because the moment we feel limited, we're automatically ac- accessing feeling threatened. We lose our sense of safety when we feel trapped. And so sometimes being unconditionally accepting of what comes your way frees you from being tethered or attached to outcomes. You can set an ambi- you can set a goal, but the more attached you are to the outcome, the more likely you're going to fumble and not reach it. But that's a, that's a different conversation. But the idea is when you are attached to the need for something, you're automatically tethered to the fear of it as well. So being unconditionally accepting is really about breaking out of the need to break out of the fear. It's about remaining flexible. It's about moving away from attachment to anything, but being non-attached to things, which allows you the flexibility. Sometimes what keeps us stuck is basically being attached to the obstacle. We're just so in denial that the obstacle exists, or we are just so focused and fixated on the reasoning, and we get caught up in the analysis as to why did this obstacle come? And why is it in front of me? Who brought it? 
why did it happen? Why did I do this to myself? Or why did this happen to me? Or why did that person do that to me? And suddenly we get caught up in analysis, which prevents us from progressing. It prevents us from achieving what we want. It prevents us from um, from having what we want. But really, we what we are really after is safety. Everything we pursue is linked to a sense of safety. And I had this thought actually today, which is really interesting that you're mentioning it in that way, um, about comfort. The real problem to me about comfort is how it masks um, the power that the unconscious mind can provide us through the unknown. The comfort, unfortunately, creates the illusion of safety. The comfort zone prevents us from pursuing what we want. And what we want lies beyond what we fear. And in this case, with the unknown, which is beyond the comfort zone, what we want lies within what we fear, which is the unknown. The unknown contains everything we need. Without exploring the unknown, we cannot become as competent as we want in anything. It's the certainty that we're after that gives us a sense of safety through, com- through the competence. But that's in the unknown. Resourcefulness, that's in the unknown. Resilience, that's in the unknown. Possibility, that's in the unknown. And ultimately safety. So real safety comes by piercing the unknown, the fabric of the unknown through that barrier we call comfort. Comfort is the mask we use to hide ourselves. It's the biggest lie. It's the biggest the illusion. It doesn't give us what we want. What we really want is to feel safe, not comfortable. When, we, when people say, I want to feel peace, it's a synonym for safety. When people say, I want to relax, it's a synonym for safety. It's, a, it's like a segue to safety. The unknown is the gateway to our freedom. And we don't treat it that way. So, yeah, that that's kind of a thread that I didn't expect <laughs> us talking about, but that's the kind of relationship we have and the kind of conversations we have. So, um, oh, I love that. It, it's, it reminds me of um, a, a short video I put on my Instagram um, recently. And I was saying that all learning and all growth happens outside of your comfort zone. Because when you're, when you're staying within that, that comfort, you're not pushing yourself into, I guess, the unknown. You're not pushing yourself into the the world of possibility, into the world of opportunity, into the, you know, all of that stuff that lies beyond what is comfortable, right? Yeah. And I find that really fascinating because, like, why why would you say that we then seek comfort over, I guess, safety? Or, or is it because we feel like comfort is safety? Exactly. So one aspect is comfort and safety are considered synonyms, even though they're not. And the second is comfort kind of creates the illusion that the unknown is the enemy. And that's how it gets away with us feeling safe in its presence or with it surrounding us. Because because of that barrier, the comfort zone, there's a contrast that separates us from the unknown. And whenever there's a separation, whatever I thought, whenever I think about this, a separation to me is either deprivation of some sort or protection. I'm either separating from something by force or by choice, but there is a loss. There's a sense of deprivation. Someone's depriving me of access to something or I'm losing something or I'm choosing to untether. But there is a 
deprivation somewhere form, or there is a protection happening. That separation is to protect myself. And the way comfort works is it creates the illusion of safety from the unknown. That barrier is leaning more towards protection than deprivation. Why? Because we feel comfortable in that space. So if we feel comfortable, we may actually be feeling safe. And if we're feeling safe because of that barrier, then there's something outside of that barrier that is the opposite of what we're feeling now. What would be the opposite of safety? Danger, fear, the sense of threat. And when we are protected from something, then that thing is our enemy. And if it's our enemy, then it's a threat. And if it's a threat, then we are safe when we are away from it. But that's the biggest lie that we were ever told because the unknown, within the unknown lies everything that we want, truly. Our evolution lies within the unknown. You discover the unknown is the greatest storyteller of who you are. It tells you who you are, what you're capable of. But you can never access that storyteller if you basically submit to the barrier of comfort, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think the thing that I'm, I'm pulling out of that is that the, the unknown is the kind of, you know, we're using the word unknown, but there's so many different words that people use for yeah. it, like like source or... Um, spirit or you know all of this universe like all of this stuff is kind of tied to the same meaning of of unknown and what i'm pulling out is that by neglecting our i guess you call it like an innate connection to that unknown like we're born into the unknown like we, yeah. we come from the unknown like our evolution has come from it will always be going towards the unknown as 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 we evolve as people and as a, as a species and culture and everything, right? Like we're recording this remotely via laptops and internets and cameras and microphones. All of that stuff didn't exist hundreds of years ago, but exists now, right? That's yeah. come from the unknown. So the thing that I'm pulling out is that although we keep ourselves protected from this idea of unknown, I'm wondering what, what, the payoff for us is to do that because if you look around us at nature if you look around us at, again just technology like with iphones and again iphones didn't exist 10 years ago like so much stuff that never existed which now exists which is a core part of our day-to-day -day lives mm -hmm. what's the payoff for us to not want to lean into that unknown other than this feeling of comfort it's that is the ultimate payoff feeling that sense of safety because if you think about it the unconscious mind and that's something i thought about a few weeks ago and i just let it go i wanted it to incubate i wanted to just settle a bit in my head the unconscious the purpose of safety is if we are safe we will survive full stop the objective is to survive. Our nervous system wants us to survive. And in order for us to survive, we need to be safe. Here's the interesting paradox that I thought of a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. The unconscious mind's job is to keep us safe by keeping us alert. In order to keep us alert, it needs us to feel threatened, to be constantly alert to any danger. But by constantly feeling threatened, how can we ever feel safe and peaceful? 
but it's trying to keep us alive. It's trying to keep us, prevent us from dying out as a species. And that's the interesting dance between us and our unconscious minds. Because the real power lies in changing our relationship to our unconscious mind, to our emotions, redefining certain, I guess, one way to change a relationship is to, to redefine it. You know, what is resentment to you? What is, and that's why I, I, I've been doing a clubhouse session weekly on the psychology of everything. So I capture a word and I redefine it. Redefining is a very important power to, to change your relationship to something. It's not the fear, it's your relationship to the fear. It's not the event, it's your relationship to the event. And a lot of times we try to control something we can't. And we're living in fear because we constantly try to focus on what we cannot control. We try to control time, we try to control people, we try to control, uh, control technology, we try to control emotions. And those are beyond our control. And a lot of people are pursuing a life of attempting to control these things. We may not be able to control time, but we can control the way we conduct ourselves within time. We may not be able to control people, but we can control our decisions, words, and actions. We can control the way we conduct ourselves when we communicate with people. We can control the way we respond to people, respond to events, the way we respond to the emotions we're feeling. One of the greatest problems we have is we try to avoid an escape. That's like the, the fight or flight or freeze. Flight is the most desirable decision for a lot of people, unfortunately. And what that does is it stops us from reclaiming control by reclaiming choice. We just avoid, avoid, avoid. But if you avoid a mistake, if you want to try to avoid a mistake, mistakes are how we learn. You're avoiding lessons. You're avoiding confrontations that need to happen. We need to confront the unknown. If we want to go back to the unknown, we need to confront the emotions, the traumas that we've had in the past that we've buried. One of my mentors was saying emotions that are buried alive never die. And we just keep trapping and bearing these emotions, but they keep coming up. It's different patterns, different behaviors, different beliefs. And a lot of people try to change their beliefs and behaviors, but they're focusing on beliefs and behaviors. And this is one of the issues that I have with self-development, with the self-development industry, is it's fixated on beliefs and behaviors instead of the real missing piece, which is the emotions. A behavior is like a branch. The belief is like a trunk. The emotions are the root. You can chop the trunk, chop the branch. It will keep growing. It's only when you remove the emotional root that resulted in the beliefs and behaviors, which are nothing more than adaptations to the existing emotion. As an example mm -hmm. of something that we can't control, but we can approach it in a different way. Yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that. I'm interested though. Would the... I'm just exploring this with you because it's, it's just sort of popped up as you were talking. Yeah. Would the belief also influence the emotion? For example, a belief of, if I have a, a really deeply founded belief within myself, or I come from a place within myself where I believe that I'm not good enough, anything that may point me in the direction of that or that I've interpreted 
to point me in the direction of that is going to create an emotion, a self-created emotion mm-hmm. through from the, that belief, if that makes sense, right? So you have this 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 essence of your being which believes that you are, you know, like a low state of being that believes you're not good enough. If someone you know rejects you on a date, or you know, in inverted commas, rejects you on a date. It's going to create an emotion of sadness or upset or frustration or anger or whatever. The, 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 does that is that playing a role as well, like on that side of things? Yes, yes, absolutely. Usually, our beliefs and behaviors are adaptations to emotional wounds that we've had, and everybody's having. Everybody has emotional wounds of some sort in their life, and a lot of us don't know how to deal with it. A lot of us don't even know they exist. A lot of us believe that we have dealt with it, so. There are different factors here. But when we have emotional wounds that we moved on from that haven't healed, there are beliefs and behaviors in place as an adaptation to the existence of that wound. And the belief allows you to perceive things in a certain way to feed that belief further. And whenever something comes up that feeds the belief, it will definitely feed the emotion, emotional wound that gave birth to the belief and behavior in the first place. Think of the emotional wound as an actual open wound on the body. The belief and behavior are basically covering it up to protect it rather than healing it. Mm-hmm. And we end, up having, we end up having similar patterns to what we may have forgotten caused the existing wound or the previous wound to, to exist in the first place. Whether it's a relationship, let's say it's a breakup. There's a constant pattern of people we're attracting in our lives, people that we're connecting with that, I mean, I'm just having the same pattern over and over this, you know, the, the sense of frustration that I have, let's say, is constantly being repeated over and over and over. Well, guess what? Your beliefs and behaviors are enabling that frustration pattern because of the wound in the beginning. And as long as the wound is there, you're walking around and whoever you connect with, especially with intimate partners, you have emotional landmines that they will inevitably step on. And you think that because they're they're the wrong person for you, because you felt that way because of them, that you need to walk away. When in fact, it's just another person accidentally stepping on one of your emotional landmines that you've never healed because you didn't even know existed. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And and I think... Then the thing that comes for me, I guess, is is like, and it, and this is something that I strongly believe is like, you you have these beliefs, and you know whether they're conscious or unconscious, right? We have these these beliefs about ourselves, these this place within ourselves that we come from, but we we forget that most of the time we're the ones who made that belief up, right? Okay, so okay, there might have been things that happened in your past and your your childhood and your upbringing that kind of reinforced that belief for you. But essentially, you're the one who's made the belief up. And now you're choosing to believe it, forgetting that you're the one who made it up and get stuck in and through that get stuck in this cycle of of patterns of behavior and emotional responses, etc. So what i what i see in that is like well what happens if you just learn to drop the belief it's not about changing the belief it's not about trying to reinforce a positive spin on the belief it's like what if you just stop believing it then what happens what what becomes possible for you then 
Absolutely. And here's, here's the question. If the belief was an adaptation to protect you from anyone poking that emotional wound, whatever the belief is, whatever the behavior is, and you decide to drop it, what the unconscious mind would do is it would come up with another belief to keep, to, to cover up that emotional wound. It's not necessarily going to, if we let go of the beliefs that limit us, just to kind of tackle that, mm -hmm. life would open up automatically. The thing is, if I change a belief while keeping the wound that gave birth to the belief, it's either that I'm going to have a hard time, I'm going to struggle with eliminating the belief, or if I do successfully change it, another limiting belief to compensate for it will come up because the main reason why the belief was created in the first place is still there. So we need another belief to compensate for the one I just got rid of. And that's, that's the thing. We focus on changing beliefs instead of realizing that there is a wound that justifies the existence of the belief. Of course you're going to want to have that belief. And of course you don't like that belief because that belief is stopping you from doing a lot of other things. But nevertheless, that belief is serving a purpose or it would not be there. And that belief may have emerged because of um, a trauma that happened or a continuation of an existing trauma. So it could be something that feeds an existing, it could be a trauma over a trauma, or it could just be a trauma that kept on continuing. And when we believe or behave in certain ways, we do it to, to kind of protect that open wound. And so what ends up happening is whenever we're communicating with other people, we're actually communicating based on the defensiveness that comes from the belief and behavior from that wound. Mm-hmm. Rather than anything, if we get rid of that, I'll give you a perfect, I'll give you an example. Someone says something that bothers you, right? It pisses you off. You feel angry. All right. You feel angry. It's a trigger. You're triggered. You're triggered. It, it, it's, and just to be clear, a trigger is a very intense negative emotion linked to a certain situation. The first thing I can tell you is I promise you that's not the first time you felt that emotion. You may, have, you may have felt it so many times. Eliminating the emotional wound is not about not feeling negative emotions. And I want to highlight that. It doesn't mean that you're not going to feel negative emotions. It's just not going to last as long. It's not going to be highly intense to the degree that you lose control, most likely. And it's for a short period of time, basically. So if someone says something that triggers anger, what are the different options that someone has? Someone you know triggered anger. What would you do? What are the different options that you may consider in general? Oh, uh, well, punch him in the face would be the first one if you're really that's one, super that's angry. One. Yeah, that's like one. a physical response. Yeah. Uh, you'd, you'd shut yourself off. You'd shut yourself down from feeling that emotional response. You'd close yourself off. Um try and change it you know quote unquote inverted commas change the emotion that you're feeling i don't want to feel the anger i want to feel joy or you know circling back around to the original part of the conversation except that you're angry right now so you could either maybe punch him or her or just, i don't know maybe just, hopefully just punch not her. <laughs> hopefully not her yeah absolutely so or him to be fair or him yeah absolutely so you punch the person or you basically threaten the person that if they ever say that again, mm -hmm. 
you're going to do whatever. Or you're going to basically ask them nicely to not do it again. Whether you choose to explain why is your mm-hmm. choice. Or you may choose to just not say anything mm-hmm. and keep it to yourself and suppress your emotions, which is, by the way, the worst thing to do. But what does what do all these different strategies have in common? I guess they're all quite defensive, aren't they? They're very they're very defensive and there's nothing in there that seems very um I don't know if practical is the right word, but very useful. <laughs> like none of it seems maybe maybe talking about why it's they you wouldn't want someone to say something like that again would be useful because hopefully they wouldn't do it again. But does that really get to the to the crux of the issue? Probably not. So it doesn't actually turn out to be that useful in the long term because it could happen with someone else. True. However, what that is, what that does is it also gives you, I mean, that particular option creates a dialogue. It allows you to express the truth about how you feel about what they said, expressing the truth about what you want, which is a lot. I mean, a lot of people have learned to suppress expressing the truth because they are afraid of being politically incorrect. They're afraid of consequence of what they're going to say. Now, obviously with the right intention, um, if you have the right intention and you are basically responsible for what you express, I remember I wrote a quote previously, the right to express is not a license to abuse. If you want to, if you, yeah, you do have the right to express, but that doesn't necessarily give you the right to harm someone else just because you want to share your opinion. Having an opinion doesn't mean that you need to share it. So there's a lot there uh, to, you know, does your opinion qualify as something that is useful for the other person and for yourself? Is it, is it, does it lead to something good or is it just about sharing your opinion, even if it hurts other people? Um, what good will come of it basically? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to something like that, as you're explaining, telling the truth allows them to know something that they didn't know before that gives them the choice of stopping. And that's healthy. The way we do it is the problem, not the actual act of doing it. I think it's the best of all of them. But what I was trying to get into is what, what they all have in common is they're focused mainly on trigger management than emotional processing and express and, and, and basically resolving the emotional conflict within you that led to the triggering in the first place. Mm-hmm. They're pressing a button and what you're basically doing, all of those, is you're trying, except for the suppression, you're trying to basically find a way to cover the button so no one else can press it. What you're basically saying is, please don't press the button or, uh, you know, or threatening them. I, how, if you press that button one more time, I swear I will blank. Or like you said, punching. My point is, the idea is you are trying to manage the trigger by protecting it, covering it. You don't want someone, please don't step on it. Please don't press on it. What that does is it keeps the problem going. And I I promise you, one other option is to cut them out of your life. Guess what? They're not the only person that stepped on that landmine. They will not be the last. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the emotional wound is there. If you heal that, guess what happens? The trigger will no longer exist. Meaning that if they say that same thing, it's not going to bother you enough for you to overreact. You're going to objectively talk about it. You may feel something, but it's not intense to make you lose control. Because you got rid of the very thing that kept this happening 
for decades. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I guess that is a a way more more articulate way of putting it the way I put it. That's kind of what, you know, the three, I think I gave four different responses, right? One was the more kind of acceptance of the situation, but knowing that you have to deal with the the root cause of why you've responded in such a way. And the other three were the kind of more defensive, like, uh, like don't press the button kind of uh, angle, right? There's another, there's another one that you mentioned, actually, uh, that we didn't talk about, which is changing emotion. You don't yeah, want to feel yeah. the emotion, you want to change the emotion. Yeah. What's interesting about that is, again, the unconscious emotions are messages. And the unconscious mind is trying to... Con- if you have a wound, what ends up happening is the mind tries to bring it up. It either creates patterns in your life, people brings in people, so you can create that resolution that you've never given yourself... You may have nightmares, you may have dreams of something that you've been ignoring and it just keeps coming up every now and then, maybe frequent, maybe not. Uh, But the core here is changing the emotion. Do we have the power to change our emotional state? Yes, but this is the key distinction. Changing your emotional state is useful in certain moments where you need to do it, but it doesn't get rid of the emotional wound. Mm-hmm. Changing the emotional state doesn't get rid of the emotional wound. doesn't heal it. But it's a great way to distract yourself in that moment to perform if you're going to be on stage, if you're going to do something and something happened, you can shift your focus, change your emotional state, but don't ignore the emotional wound. Positive thinking is another example. I love positive thinking, however... If positive thinking distracts us from releasing the emotional impact of the traumatic experiences we've had, then all it's doing is keeping the poison trapped within. Mm -hmm. Positive thinking doesn't take away the emotions. We're focusing on thinking our way out of how we feel instead of feeling our way out of it. And there are ways of doing that. But but yeah, but you did mention that's a very important point. Yeah. 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 Changing emotions. And I threw that one in there for for that reason, because I I feel like a lot of the time and and what I find is when you do try to change the emotion, you just end up feeling more of the emotion that you're trying to get away from, because the more you try to run from it, the more it it, it, it's like, you know, when you're a kid and a dog runs up to you and you run away, the dog doesn't stop. It continues to chase you because it thinks it's a fun game now. And it kind of feels the same with emotions. They they continue to chase you the more you try to 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 push them away or, or you know in this instance change them yeah there's there's one thing about that that's really i believe it's important to share here is the distinction between thoughts and emotions as well a lot of people don't want to say something out loud because they don't want to give it power over them what's interesting here is if you have a thought the moment you say it out loud or write it down you're giving it power you're giving it exist you're you're allowing it to exist if you keep it inside it will not have any power. Don't express it in terms of just a random thought. You have the choice of doing it, of course, or not, of expressing it or not. But when it comes to emotions, choosing not to express emotions, I don't want to say that I feel ashamed about that thing that happened. I've never said that out loud. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to say that I feel ashamed. of. The thing is, because I don't want to give it power. I don't want it to affect me. The truth of the matter is, you know you feel ashamed keeping it inside doesn't make it doesn't mean that it's less real you, because you feel it it's already real expressing it is a way to dissolve it and let it out 
and release it from you. It's like a trapped, it's like a temporary, we had, I think we had this conversation on our, on the last mm-hmm. uh, session. Uh, emotions are meant to be a passing leaf, right? Mm-hmm. It's a temporary visitor that we treat as a permanent resident and we trap the emotion when it's meant to give us a message and leave us, but we need to be the ones that do it. We need to learn to express the emotions in a way that doesn't harm others, but allow us to be free from it because it wants to be free. But what we end up doing is we don't want to give it power when it already has a lot of power because it's already real saying it is okay. Mm. It's actually healthy. Yeah. Very healthy. So, so then again, circling back to the original start of the conversation, is that the role that acceptance plays in all of this? Is, is that, you know, being able to express the emotion and how you're feeling and, you know, what's going on to me seem like forms of acceptance because you're accepting that it, you're not trying to keep it suppressed. You're not trying to hide it. You're not trying to bottle it. You're accepting that it's something that you're feeling and going through and, and, and something that you're in some way dealing with slash managing, however you want to put it. And therefore you need to be able to accept that to be able to then, you know, have that bit of growth to talk about it. Yes. Yes. Acceptance Okay. Acceptance is basically when you, one way to begin to process your emotions is to express your emotions, either out loud or writing. And there are ways of doing that, specific ways of allowing that to happen. Emotional expression of that kind is a demonstration of acceptance of its existence. The moment I'm, ex- I'm saying it out loud, I'm acknowledging that it's inside of me. I'm acknowledging that it's there. And a lot of times what keeps us trapped, what keeps the wound fresh, is our resistance to the existence of the emotional wound itself. Because we're resisting it, it keeps us trapped. Because by by keeping it trapped, we remain trapped. And a side note about resistance and and being trapped is I believe that one of the fastest ways to begin to learn anything in life is to accept the temporary incompetence that you will have when you're exploring something you know nothing about. And a lot of times people kind of stumble upon something that they want to learn, but they don't learn it or it takes a long time to learn it because of the mental resistance to the fact that they're incompetent. They want to do it right. You can't do it right the first time. You are going to be incompetent and that's okay. Mm. And it's temporary. It is temporary. The, the duration of the incompetence relies on how fast you learn or the fact that you're constantly focusing on learning. But the moment you resist that incompetence, now you're in stagnation and you cannot learn anymore because you're still in denial of the fact that you're not good enough in that moment to be a master at it. It's okay. Because you're good enough to learn. Because you're able to learn. As long as you adopt the certainty that there's nothing you can't learn. There's nothing beyond your ability to learn. And accept the temporary incompetence of exposing yourself to something new. In this case, the unknown really is what we're (laughs) talking about. Then you can move through anything. It Mm. allows you to be permeable. you, you, You develop that fluidity to flow through anything through the power of acceptance and it's hard for any obstacle to hold you back. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's, it's like, 
there's a saying which I'm probably going to absolutely butcher right now, but uh, you know, always you're we were always a beginner at something at some time. Absolutely. You know, and it's being okay with being a beginner is what allows you to maybe get better is the wrong phrase to use in this instance, but allows you to get better at that thing by being like, oh, well, I, you know, it's like learning a language. You have to, you have to be bad at learning the language and speaking it to be able to develop the skills to actually, you know, um, have more full blown conversations with people. If you're not willing to stumble and fumble your way through words and sentences, you're always going to hold yourself back on that, on that front. And it's, it's very similar with, with this, isn't it? Absolutely. So, we are out of time for today, Sam, but we're going we're gonna to do a follow-up to this, aren't we? We're going to do a part two. And yes. I guess what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite anyone who's listening to this to send us any questions that you may have based on this conversation because we will go into it a lot deeper the next recording we do. So if you have any questions, then you know you can DM me on Instagram. Um, you can also contact Sam. Um, Sam, where's the best place to get hold of you for any questions? Um DM me on Instagram as well on Sam Karashi, S-A-M-Q-U-R-A-S-H-I. Just put it uppercase Alex and I'll know it's from, from, from this podcast and I will answer it as soon as I can. Definitely. Love that. So start, start the DM with Alex in capital letters and between us we'll either get through the questions or we'll look to, to um, answer some of those queries and questions on the next recording we do. Um, so Sam as always thank you so much for the time it's been an absolute pleasure as deep as ever um, which I love and yeah look forward to doing it again uh, in part two thank you so much Alex for having me looking forward to connecting with you soon pleasure man so I hope that you enjoyed this episode I would love to know what you got from it and I would love to know if you've got any questions for the second recording that we're going to do in a couple of weeks time if you do hit me up on Instagram at IamAlexManzi or TikTok at the same handle And if you know someone who you think would really benefit from hearing this episode, be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's really, really, really important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages and grow the community around wicked episodes like this one. I started this podcast to help inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing this episode with someone you know today. I want to thank Ryan Nile from Pure Creation Media for producing and editing this episode and also to Hobgoblin Beats for producing the sick music And as always, I want to thank you for listening and I will see you for the next episode.